0: is that we are active in our faith. Now today what we look at is men and women, roles. I mean, what could go wrong with that today, okay? I, uh, I told Cindy, she said, oh, uh, I see you're wearing your red shirt today. Normally, you, you know, you wear blues and greens. And I said, well, as the slinging arrows come at me during the sermon and darts come at, I don't want everyone to know that I'm dying up here when you hear the word of God today. And I mean this seriously, this is probably one of the more challenging sections of First Timothy. Because here in chapter 2, between verses 8 and 15, remember, what God is describing is how do I want my people to act in worship? Okay, so the, the admonition of scripture here, uh, we're going to talk about submission, we're going to talk about roles, we're going to talk about a lot of things that in 21st century contemporary culture, we don't like to hear, and quite frankly, we dismiss, just just automatically. We just get away from it, and people go, I, I am not listening to that, I don't want to hear that, and uh, in fact, uh, this is all bogus. So with that in mind, expecting, not necessarily the worst from you, but it but recognizing that this is going to be challenging. Let's bow our heads and let's ask for the Spirit to take over. Gracious Father, you give us your word and you say it is life. You say it's life for us. And so, God, we trust you as the source, as that which gives us all hope for a better today as well as a future tomorrow. And so, God, we ask that as we read your word that you would infill us, which means you you take over with the gift of your spirit, that we would have ears that would hear, that we would have hearts supple and submissive. And Father, ultimately, that we are transformed by this word so that we can be who you created us to be, the image of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what I'd like for you to do, if you've got your Bibles with you today or your uh, iPad, your phone, go ahead and, and open those up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. What we're going to do is we're going to do a quick read through this section of Scripture. And I find a lot of times that if you'll read it out loud with me, um, one, it kind of helps you practice uh, reading Scripture. But also, uh, we're just going to kind of set the mood for where we're going. And uh, you kind of get a clue here. All right, 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. I want, uh, say it with me, I want the men everywhere to lift up hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. See, now that you've read the scripture, you're like, what did he step into this week? Here it is, folks. You know, here's the fun part. We can't be scared of God's word, okay? We're we're reading through Timothy verse by verse because we're not afraid to go where the world is afraid to go. Here's the picture that I want you to have in your mind. My bet is, is that you can have discussions in this world with people that are not believers, that want to talk about the fact that the church itself or Christianity in general, has, has subjected women, has put them down, has expected them to only be barefoot and pregnant, on and on and on, right? And that the church has had those issues, that Christian men have taken verses like this, taken them out of context and abused their wives. We know all of these things have happened. We admit them. I have no problem saying, shame on us. But here's the problem. Just because scripture is perverted by sinful people, just because scripture is taken out of context does not mean that we don't learn from it. After all, the reason we have God's word is to enliven us, to give us hope and a future. It is meant to transform our lives, which includes our thinking and our acting. You see, being the church Means that we wrestle with difficult things in our lives and we live transformed in such a way that the people around us go, wow, well that's an interesting way to live. I kind of like that. Tell me more. So see, the hope with Scripture and learning through difficult, challenging uh, bits of Scripture is that we look like God. We act like God, we talk like God, we live, we breathe, we, we are made in the image of God. And being the church, that's a heavy responsibility. It's very heavy. So I know no other greater place to stay. I I know I asked you to go to 1 Timothy. You can mark that with a finger. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 because if we don't start here, you're not going to listen to anything I have to say in 1 Timothy 2, I'll guarantee. Genesis chapter 1. It's not up on the screens. I want you to follow, okay? I want you to be taking notes yourselves. I want you to be involved. That's why I've asked you to bring your Bibles. Open them up. Open those those iPads up and, and phones and take notes. In Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all of creation. He creates the land. He creates the seeds. He creates the water. He creates the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars. He creates all of these things. And in verse 26 of chapter 1, God says this. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let man rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, when God said, let there be light, when he created the world, he said, I've got a job for man to do. And that is to rule the earth. Now, I don't care what contemporary culture says. I don't care what the science books teach. We are not subject to creation. Creation is meant to be subject to mankind, which means mankind, you should be taking better care of it. I am amazed that still today I can go to a U.S. National Forest Service property, right? A Forest Service who, who's charged with helping us use our lands for recreation. All the, and I can still find trash because you eat something and go, well, I don't see a trash can here. Or I love this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Well, but it's biodegradable. (laughs) A banana peel was not naturally sitting in the forest, okay, in the Pike National Forest. Banana trees don't grow here. It's not natural. You don't get to eat the banana and throw it down just because it's biodegradable. After years, I don't want to walk by and see your banana peel. Same for orange peels, apple cores. That's assuming you even brought along fruit, for crying out loud. That's not being a good steward. And that's not taking care of the earth. Do you understand? Your role as a human being is to take care of the earth. You are given authority to take care of it. And when you do not, you thwart God. You might as well give him the big theological flip off and say it doesn't matter. I'm only here for a short time. I'll just use the resources as I want. Whatever makes me feel good. That's not being in the image of God. See, being in the image of God means that you were wonderfully created and that God has in store for you a certain role. And your role is to take care of the animals and everything God created. That's your role. Which means God set it before you. He's given it for you to do. And if you choose not to do it, well, then you're being disobedient. You see, this is where it comes down to, that God wants to give us life. He wants to encourage. He wants to build us up. He wants to make us the best human beings that he wants us to be. But in doing so, it requires obedience. We don't get to be the best human beings I want to be. I get to be the best human being God wants me to be. So... Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now in chapter 1, we don't get a separation of the story. We don't get a separation that God formed Adam first out of the dry ground and then breathed life into him. And that later, Eve was formed out of Adam's rib. We don't don't get that in chapter 1. That comes later. But in chapter 1, I want you to understand that man is, Women, we were all made in the image of God. Look at the person next to you that is of the opposite sex. Look, Go ahead, look at them, and just go, you are godly. Now, that may sound weird, right, Coming, depending, and if you're a visitor, just go ahead and just chalk that up to Pastor Dyer, okay? You are godly. That's how you were made. You were made to live that way, look that way, behave that way. And so because of that, you are precious. You are more precious than what you can understand. Because God said, you're made to look like me. Me. The problem is, is for some of us, that's not good enough. You see, he makes... Two trees in the middle of the garden, tree of knowledge, tree of life. And even for Adam and Eve, who are told, you have everything, only, oh, here's some rules: Don't eat of those two trees. Don't eat? Now we, we know what Adam and Eve are kind of going through. We're our own human being. we go, "Well, but God, it, that looks good over there. And Satan comes in, right, and Eve, yep, she's deceived. Scripture's very clear. She was the one deceived. And Adam, she comes over and says, here, take this. And he's like, yeah, whatever, okay. I mean, there's no part of him that goes, wait a minute, God said don't eat this. He was not leading. He had every right, every responsibility to go, Eve, we're not going to eat it. He didn't follow the rules. He wasn't living in a way that was God pleasing. He did not obey. And see, this is what's going to hit us this morning, is because initially you're going to read, right, when we read in Romans, you're like, well, there's just one verse for men, and there's seven or eight for women. We obviously know who needs more education this morning. And you'd be sorely wrong. Because I am an equal opportunity offender this morning with the law of God. You see, I'm going to paint some pictures this morning and none of us are going to measure up. And we're going to hear from the word of God and we're all going to go, you know, you're exactly right. That's how I should be living. And there's not a single one of us here this morning who meets that standard. And so I want you to know, I'm not just pounding, I'm not thundering, I'm not just demanding. God is not up there going, try harder, do better. He is a loving, kind, and gracious God who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin, for your mistakes, for your inability to follow the rules. Because He wants to win your heart back. He wants your heart. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Be the leaders in creation that I have made you to be. And that goes to both the men and the women in creation. Be the leader. Now in chapter 2, verse 23 The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Hebrew word for man is is ha'ish, and the word for woman is ha'isha. It's not a diminutive term. It just means that she came from the man. And when God created, he said, you know what? There is no suitable helper for Adam. I know, I'll make a helper I'll give him Eve. And the world has had a field day with this one, right? A lot of husbands who are self-sanctimonious, self-righteous, sitting up on some soapbox that their dad made for them. Well, you're supposed to be my helper. You're not helping me very much. As if that was some kind of diminutive thing. What does it say throughout the book of Psalms that God is our help? and refuge. Do you think God is diminutive in any way? That when he looks upon creation, he says, well, I'm going to take on just this subservient kind of role that is so diminutive and it's kind of beneath me. No, God says being a helper is a great thing. It's so great, I'm going to do it. And so ladies, I want you to hear this. To be a helper is not some small thing. It is a great thing. Because God made them male and God made them female. And God did not make males like he made females. And he did not make females like he made males. And we need each other. We complement each other. We need to help each other. This is how God made it. This is why he put us together. We needed a help meet. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Right? What, What man looks into a mirror and doesn't take care of his own body. Paul writes in the New Testament. So take care of your body. I you mean, take care of your wife? She's bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh, for crying out loud. How dare you talk to her that way? How dare you treat her that way? Other than the queen that she is. And I know I'm looking out at a lot of husbands today that are saying, I have not done this well. The word of God is present here to convict and to bring you to your knees, to ask for forgiveness, to ask your help meet, to walk alongside you. Men, if that is not done, the rest of this is moot. The rest of this is worthless if you do not start in humility with yourself. And so when we move back here to 1 Timothy, clearly understand something here. This is not about women being subject to men in public. Or at work. This text is talking about in worship. Why? Because Paul established this church in the town of Ephesus. And after he left that, he left a young pastor, Timothy. And now Paul is getting some words that Timothy's struggling a little bit with his leadership because there are some in the congregation that are doing things that they should not be doing. It's creating dissension and an uproar. There are things happening without proper leadership that Paul is coming back at Timothy and going, look, you need to get this right. And so, in verse 8, he starts out, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So what are the men not doing in worship in Ephesus? They're not raising their hands, which means they're not leading out, which means they're being reserved. Well, I don't, you know, that's just not me. I'm not, a, I'm not a hand raiser. Come on, honey, you know I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, I can't clap to anything. Now, you know, I, we've had excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, I, I want propriety in worship. I don't want to be a hand. A, I don't care if you raise your hands. The point of the scripture is men aren't. Leading their families, they're not leading in such a way that their families are learning in a good way. Well, hon, you, you know it's it's the fall, and well, the leaves have fallen, and if I don't rake the leaves this beautiful Sunday morning, I, you know, are we just going to expect the wind to blow them away, hon. It, it, it's a really important time during the football season right now, and if I don't take care of my, my, you know, my fantasy football team, you know, this is really important. I mean, if I lose, I have to wear a silly dress in front of the guys, and it'll just be crazy. Hun, I, I work so much during the week that, you know, the, the weekend is my only two days. And, and and I gotta have these days off, huh? and I can't I can't be expected to go to worship. I mean, we know Jesus, we love Jesus, we say the evening prayers to kids with kids, and you know, we even pray over our meals. Why do we why do we have to go to worship? <laughs> I mean, there's hardly any parking. <laughs> I mean, it, it was hazy in there. <laughs> Good night. I told Mark, I said, just tell him. it's murky, murky between men and women, relationships. And pastor asked for a hazy environment. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Guys, the scripture's pretty clear. If you're not the ones leading your families in prayer, which means worship here in this context, then shame on you. If your family's not in worship, it's on you. You're the one called to lead. It's your job. It's your role. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. Lead. Do you understand that in Genesis 3 when the fall happens, right, and sin comes into the world, there's plenty of curses that come with that, ladies. Pain and childbirth. It also finishes that section with, and your desire will be for your husband. Literally, that means your desire for his position of leadership will be yours. Yep, in the absence of male leadership in our households, women will always rise and take up leadership. They're like, I ain't waiting around. (laughs) You kidding me? You're not going to lead our kids in paths of righteousness? I'll do it. You're not going to go to church? I'll take them to church. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's usurping what God intended to be that dads would lead. without anger or disputing. So obviously what's happening in the men in Ephesus is that there is a lot of anger and disputing going on in church, like opinions. Okay? People have it, well, I can't believe it's like this. Grumble, 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 grumble. When is that pastor going to grow? grow, grow grumble, 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 grumble. On and on and on. And that's, that's not healthy for a church. Have the men of the congregation grumble. It's not healthy for them to be angry. It's not healthy for them to be disputing, but to be proper, good role models and leaders. Now, ladies, verse 8, I also want, or 9, I want women to dress modestly, with decency, propriety, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, ladies, I know some of you are. Kind of turning your heads a little bit. You put braids in this morning and you're kind of going, <clears throat> get the... no, I don't have any braids. I... Yeah, Polly, very good. Both braids right there. Thank you. Sinner, do not come up to the front near the center. You must leave her to her sin. What's the point? Let me explain the historical context of you understanding why Paul has this admonition here. This is in worship. In this day, writers claim that prostitution began to increase exponentially. And that what was happening was that the ladies that were involved in this age-old profession were basically dressing, putting their hair in braids because most women didn't, so they were doing the opposite of what most women did. They were wearing lots of jewelry wherever they could find it to be able to walk around and flaunt, say, hey, notice me. Notice me, man. Don't notice your wives. Don't notice the work you're supposed to be doing. Don't take care of your families. Notice me. And I know you have needs. I am your humble servant to provide for your needs, says the prostitute. This is the context. And what's happening is they're getting a lot of notoriety and they're making a lot of money. I mean, even Proverbs 31 says, let's bless the woman who works hard by her fingertips, sets aside money. We know that in the heart of women is the desire to work hard, whether it's in the house, outside the house, work, CEO, it doesn't matter. God has made you to be able to work and work hard and work well, and you want to be paid for that. And so what's happening is is that the ladies of the congregation are seeing this increase in prostitution, that the wealth has increased, that the notoriety has increased, that these women are noticed. Ladies, I've been told, right, you go out on a date with your husband, you're not dressing for your husband. You're dressing for the other women. Oh, no, 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 that's not why. You're all in denial mode right now. Oh, no, no. To be noticed by the other women. I hope it's not to be noticed by other men. Because this is what Paul's calling out. He says, ladies, I don't want you to dress this way in the congregation because there are husbands that need to be paying attention and leading their wives in a godly manner. And you don't need to be distracting them. Is there a time and a place to wear that favorite dress of yours that might be a little shorter than normal? Your 25th anniversary, you tell your husband you want to go out dancing. You're going down to a broad, I don't know where you're, and you guys want to go, go wear the dress. Put your hair in braids, whatever. Put your makeup on and put, put your jewelry on. Put the best pearls on. There's a time and a place for that. Worship is not the time or place for that. This is what Paul's talking about. He's not saying, ladies, you can't look your finest. He's saying in worship, make sure you got the main thing, the main thing. She should be dressed with good deeds. Appropriate a woman who professes to worship God and this is, this is the hard thing you're going to hear ladies, if you don't want to profess that you worship God, then don't come to church you want to dress up like society does like 21st century does, you want to look at the magazines and the fashion magazines and look at what's on E and look online and you want to look that good and you want to look 20 years younger and you want to do all those things because that's what's getting all the notoriety, that's fine just don't come to church because women that profess to worship God say, I will dress and act accordingly that gives God the honor and glory, not me. And you young ladies, right? Maybe we've got some girls, some, some, some 10, 11, 12-year-olds in here this morning. Young ladies, you're in your late teens, your early 20s. Maybe you're in your 30s and you're not married yet. And your heart's desire is, yeah, I want to I wanna get married one day. I wanna, yeah, yeah. You don't have to attract a man. I'm not going to give you a whole biology lesson here, but you don't have to do much to get our attention. Okay? I'm just telling you, ask your parents what I mean by that, okay? Thanks a lot, Pastor Dyer. Okay? But here's the point. You don't have to do a whole lot. God's got the thing rigged. He does, okay? I mean, there's attraction, believe me. And you say, I know, but but, you know... I want to be a godly woman, and, and I don't know a lot of godly guys, and if I know Scripture, a lot of Scripture, right, and if I, and if I serve in Sunday school or, or help in nursery or if I lead a women's Bible study, if I, if I become a really godly woman, I, I'm just afraid there won't be enough godly guys out there. So you're going to dumb down in order to attract the attention of a dumber guy? Don't do that. If he's not willing to up his game, He's not in your league. Ladies, you were wonderfully made. You are created to be a blessing to God. Him first, and all these other things will be given to you as well. From Matthew 6 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. You take that word learn and put the word disciple in there. I want a, wo- a woman should be discipled in quietness and full submission. The full submission is to God. He's just simply describing where your heart should be. That instead of going, well, I'm not gonna be anybody's cool I'm walk behind, a little, I'm not doing it. No. This is full submission to God. Ladies, are you willing to be what God wants you to be? More than what you want to be. More than what the world says you can be. The world paints you a great big picture of lies. Are you willing to submit to God? In quietness. Why? Well, what's obvious here that's happening in the church at Ephesus is there are a lot of people being loud. Well, I don't agree. They're calling out in worship. No, 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 no. And they're not listening. And it's men and women. Men men are arguing with probably the teacher or other men. The women are yelling out. They're not being quiet. They're not showing. Look, teach me. Having a calm spirit. Right. The book of Proverbs says... It is better for a man to live in the desert than with a wife who is contentious. Yeah, dude, it's better if you just go live in the eastern plains of, of, of Colorado by yourself and die than with a woman who's angry and contentious. Ladies, it's not meant to put you down. It's meant to elevate you. It's meant so that when you learn in quietness, so that your spirit is filled and that you truly blossom into the great creation that God wants for you. And he says if you're talking, if you're yammering, if you're going on and on and on, ladies, I can't mold you and make you into who I want you to be. Ladies, I hope you hear God's great love for you in this. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. And he goes into the explanation why. Because I made man first. Is it because she's worth less? No. Is it because she's incapable of teaching? No. I know great women teachers know a whole lot more of God's word than I'll ever hope to know. He's simply stating a fact, and this is why our church has come up with this as doctrine. We just believe that a woman isn't to be the pastor, the teacher. It's about God's role and authority, not about worth. It's a role to play. And we all love roles, Right? We love the roles that have been put in for us, put in front of us. We love having authority and being subject to the authority over us. Could go something like this: <laughs> Officer, I, I know you pulled me over, and um, I, I know that your 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 gun says that I was going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. I, I know all that, but you see, I drive this road every day. <laughs> And I I know where all the ups and downs, and I know where people pop out of corners and all that. And I was safely uh, uh, going a little quicker than what was there because I I know better. (laughs) And the officer says, you were speeding. I don't care what you know. I hope you have a better day. Here's your ticket. You see, when we get out of our roles, maybe we feel justified. I know more. I know better. I have more experience. doesn't matter. It's not your role. Your role is to be subject to the authority that is over you. So when it has a speed limit, you drive the speed limit. Well, I'm actually an engineer and I kind of know that this curve, I I know you bring the speed limit down, but I happen to know that the vehicles, they're they're so much more advanced now and they can handle that curve at a higher rate of speed. You see, it's just a yellow sign that suggests you slow down. (laughs) You're so wise, the cop says. No, he doesn't. You see, this is the issue with authority. We don't like being subject to authority when we think we know more or we're better or we're smarter. And that shows a lack of humility. That shows I think I deserve to be up higher, raised higher, honored higher. I've never known anyone that says I demand to be respected to be the one that's respected. I've just never found it to be the case. And so, ladies, learning in quietness and full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. It's the pastoral office. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, this does not mean that Adam was not a sinner. Paul's just making his argument here, and he says, look, she fell into deception. She's a sinner. Now this next phrase kind of weirds us out in 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. There are two views that, that uh, we look at here in, uh, with doctrine. One is kind of a, a physical response that literally back in Genesis, right, part of the pain uh, or part of the curse of sin was that you would have pain in childbearing. And so the physiological response to this scripture is women, you'll be saved through childbearing, meaning, yeah, it's going to hurt. But I'll save you. You're going to make it through. It's going to be painful. That's part of what's happening. You did fall into sin. You were deceived. And there is a consequence. But you're going to be saved through it. The second is a Christological point of view. And that comes from the end of Genesis 3. Where God makes the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. Through the child bearing mothers. You see, Jesus was born in the flesh. And so the the Christ view of this scripture says, you know what, you are a sinner, you were deceived, but you're going to be saved when Jesus is born. And that's how we take this. You see, this section of scripture doesn't have anything to do with putting women down. It has everything to do with elevating them. For those of you following along, turn to Titus chapter 2. Verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. See, this is, again, the admonition to the, to the men in a congregation. Huh, keeps talking about being temperate and not being angry. I mean, this is like the second place in Scripture. We're starting to notice a pattern here. Guys. Verse 3, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. So that they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home. That's not only at home, that's don't be lazy at home. To be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And again, subject has that root in its understanding of being a helper, not, you just do what I tell you, it says right there in Titus. No, it doesn't. In fact, hear these words from 1 Peter. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. God knows that a believing wife can win over the hardest of hearted husbands. Why does, he have, why does God have me submit to my husband? So that he can be won over? And I know many of you are going, well, that's crap. <laughs> and you probably inserted a different word. But this isn't about our standard. This is about God's standard. And God's standard in his word is for our betterment and for our building up and for our encouragement. You see, God's standard is meant to say, look, y'all, if, you, if I leave you to your own devices, you're not going to get this right. Let me tell you how you should live. Let me tell you how you should honor. Let me tell you how you should build up. Because I know. Now, I'm not talking to a room full of married people. There are many of you that have gone through divorce, or a widow or a widower. Others of you are not yet married. You're saying, How is this possible? How are we ever going to be able to make this standard, this high standard, fit? Let me show you how it works. this is where you start. And if you're a man, this is where it starts. And if you're a woman, this is where it starts. And if you're a young girl, this is where it starts. And if you're a a young boy, this is where it starts. You see, it starts on your knees in full humility and submission to God. When we start here, then our hearts are aligned with God. And when God is involved with a heart that's aligned, all things are absolutely possible. And then what he does is he raises us up in his grace. In that picture, he gives us a little pat on the fanny. And he says, go live it. loves you, you know. God loves you with an everlasting love. His heart's desire is simply that the way you live would bring his name, honor, and glory. And he says, you're not even possible of doing it on your own. Follow me. Will you follow him? That's my hope and that's my, that's my prayer for you, is that you would follow him. Father, it is not easy to submit. Our core grates against it, and and we have broken the promise of of submission not only to you, but to our spouse and to the authorities over us so much that it's any wonder that we would know how to submit anymore. And yet, Lord, we know uh, that we are capable of being taught and led by you. That we are capable of taking on a new way of living and and living our faith out. And so, Lord, we subject ourselves to your authority. Send your spirit that he would know, that, that he would teach us to know what it's really like to live in submission to you. In Jesus' name we pray. At this time, I'd like to ask our new members to come forward. And as they're walking forward, I'm going to ask that you uh, step up on the stage, on the sides, uh, or up here in the center. I want you to step up here, turn around, and face the congregation as we welcome you here this morning. So, family of Christ, this is a pretty incredible day for new members welcoming uh, them in. If if you didn't notice in the... um, uh, uh, opening announcements. We've got over sixty-three uh, individuals, families uh, that are welcoming, that are being welcomed this morning. I'm going to need you all to move down because see, there's so many of you. In this awesome. So this is the testimony for God. This is not This is not about our church. This is about what God is doing in the hearts and minds of you as members as you reach out into our community. Because many of these people are here because you are their neighbors, because you are a co-worker, because you have shown the light of Jesus Christ. And so this is as much an appreciation of you, our members, as it is of what God is doing at Family of Christ. So brothers and sisters, we are glad that you are to join this fellowship here at family of christ our lord jesus christ says in his holy word confess me before men and i will promise to confess you before our before my father in heaven so the things i'm asking of you this morning is to make that confession of faith before our congregation do you accept and confess that the teachings of the evangelical lutheran church as you have learned them are faithful and true to the word of god if so then answer i do And as a member of this church, do you intend to continue in the confession of this church to worship regularly, to come to the Lord's Supper regularly, to lead a righteous, godly, and holy life? If this is your desire, then say, I do so intend with the help of God. God. And will you support the work of family of Christ with your prayers, your time, your talents, and your treasures? If so, then answer yes with the help of God. And will you be held accountable to the word of God through the members of this church? Will you be open to being rebuked according to God's word? If it at all is possible within you to be at peace with everyone in a moment's notice. If this is your confession, say, yes it is with the help of God. Family of Christ, I ask you, will you be held accountable by these new members to the word of God? And there is a moment of contention or no peace, will you seek peace? Will you seek to come to resolution? Will you follow Matthew 18 when there is conflict and sin? Will you love these people, their families, and their kids? Will you support them by being volunteers in worship and children's programs and student programs? Will you say, Man, I will take care and love these families? If this is your intent, then say, Yes, it is, with the help of God. Yes, yes it is very well. Upon this, your promise, I, in the name of Family of Christ Lutheran Church, acknowledge you to be members of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and of Family of Christ. And I invite you to continue in the blessings that God has given to us here for his name, for his honor, and for his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Family of Christ, will you please welcome your brothers and sisters in Christ. They have uh, white roses on their lapels or shirts today. When the service is over, will you please do me a favor? Will you please um, make a beeline for them? Make them very uncomfortable. Hug them. Um, say, no, you can't ever leave. You know, you know what I'm saying. Just love on them, all right? We, we've got cake and reception to celebrate. Just let's celebrate when the body of Christ is strengthened and encouraged with new believers. It, um, and, and not that they're new believers in Christ, but that they're new to us and that we're excited about what God's going to do with them. All right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. As they're being seated, will you please rise? Let's sing our closing song together. I want to be close close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above sing as one. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, God. love to celebrate with you, it's a great activity